Deuteronomy 12, 1 to 14. These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess, as long as you live in the land. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills and under every spreading tree, where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your free will offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. You are not to do as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit, since you have not reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Erica. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here this morning. I just need to put the batteries back in the beeper that just fell out. Let's join, join with me in prayer, will you, before we come to God's word this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for the privilege of hearing from you, that you are the God who speaks. We pray that we might hear your words to us this morning and that we might respond in true worship because you are the one true God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I met Jack in a park in Kaohsiung, uh, Taiwan, where, where we used to live one afternoon. Jack, after the typical intro conversation where I say, ni hao, and he says, whoa, your Chinese is so good. Uh, we, we got on to weightier matters, and it was pretty soon that he, realized, that he realized that actually my Chinese wasn't that good after all. Uh, but then we got to talking about religion, and it turns out that Jack was a Buddhist. He was very open to hearing what I had to say as a Christian. And we talked about who Jesus was and the difference between Christianity and Buddhism. As we wrapped up our conversation, Jack said that it was good that I was a Christian, just as it was good that he was a Buddhist. Religion, he said, is a good thing. And it doesn't matter who you worship or how you worship, because we all have to choose the right way to worship for us. 
Jack thought the way that many, many Taiwanese think. And actually, he could slot quite easily into Australia, couldn't he? Because so many Aussies think that way as well, that we need to choose the way to worship that's right for us. And we could go further, that, that we need to choose the religion, that we need to choose the God who we worship that's right for us. Well, the message of Deuteronomy 12 calls us to a radically different approach to worship. The Israelites were not to come to God and respond to him in any way that they felt like. They were to worship God his way. He is the one who chooses how we worship, not the other way around. And for us in the 21st century in Australia, we'll see that when we come to know the living God and worship the way that he chooses, the result will be for us, like the Israelites, joy as we live the way that we were created to live, living in right relationship with our creator and with each other. Well, chapter 12 in Deuteronomy, if you've been with us so far uh, through our, in our journey with Deuteronomy, chapter 12 is the start of a new section. Uh, you may remember with Pastor Pete um, that he introduced the structure of the book as being basically three big sermons uh, by Moses. Remember the context that they're about to enter the promised land, the land of Canaan that God had promised to, to the people. It's really three big rah-rah talks. That's the technical term for it. Three sermons urging the Israelites to choose to listen to God, to trust him and obey him. Chapter 12 is the beginning of Moses' second sermon, which goes all the, all the way right through to chapter 26. 14 whole chapters. My aim today is to preach longer than that. No, not really. I'll you will be getting out before then. But it's a long sermon. It's 14 chapters. But today, we're going to only going to be focusing on 12, 14, sorry, um, 14 verses of chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at three main points that Moses says about worship. One, the Israelites were not to worship as the nations around them worshipped. Instead, of worshipping how they wanted to and as the nations did. Point two is that they are, worship, they are to worship God his way, the way that God chooses. And then the result will be, number three, joy as they gather together in the presence of God. Well, Moses starts off by telling the people that they need to live God's way when they go into the land. And that's in our first section. Verse 1, verse 2 rather. thought it was meant to be verse 1. Anyway, have a look at with me in verse 1. It is, I haven't got verse 1. Just listen as I, or read in your Bibles. Verse 1, chapter 12. These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land 
Notice that the, the, the way they are to live as a response to what God has given them. It's a response to his kindness and generosity. And the first thing that they are to do is to destroy everything to do with the religion of the nations that they're driving out. Now we get to verse 2. Let's look at verse 2. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree, where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. In that culture, the gods, or uh, the, the idols of the gods, they were, they were statues and images, representations of the gods that the people worshipped. They represented their presence. And the places on the mountains and under every spreading tree were where the people worshipped them. The Israelites were to destroy those places. They were to destroy the idols and they were to wipe out their names. Their name represented their power and their presence. What made a God a God? The God of Israel, his name was in our English versions, it's the Lord. That's a personal name of God. In the Hebrew, it's called Yahweh. We'll call him Yahweh. The God of Israel, his name was Yahweh, was telling the people to completely eradicate these gods and take away their identity and power. And by destroying the places of worship, there was then nothing left for the people to pray to these gods Nowhere, nowhere left for them to pray or worship them. The aim was to completely wipe out the religion of the nations in Canaan where they were entering into. And here's why they are to do it. It wasn't a case of the more powerful nation beating up on weaker nations with a case of cultural genocide, wiping out their culture for the sake of it. Have a look at verse 4. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. The Israelites weren't to imitate the Canaanites, the people in the land before them. They weren't to worship under every spreading tree and every high mountain. They weren't to make idols, images of God. Pete showed us a few weeks ago that one of the customs of these nations was to worship a god called Moloch. And you may remember the stories of Moloch sacrificing children. They were burnt to death and given to Moloch. That was part of their religion. Yahweh says, don't do that. Don't worship their way. You must not worship God, uh, Yahweh your God in that way. Don't be tempted to go down that path. But instead, point two, the Israelites were to worship Yahweh, not their way, but his way. I want to point out four things that make worshiping God's way different. Point A, to seek out the one place. Rather than going anywhere they liked and worshipping under every spreading tree, they were to seek out the one place where God wanted them to go. Have a look at verse 5. 
you are to seek out the place the Lord your God will choose from among all the tribes, all your tribes, and put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. It was one single place. They were to make a choice to journey there. The nations around them, remember, worshipped under every spreading tree and on every high mountain. It was kind of a religion of convenience, a kind of 7-Eleven of the religious world. Worship was made into something that suited them, shaped by how they wanted it to be. Not so for Yahweh's people. He was the one who decided what worship would look like. He was the one who decided where it would be, how it would be. Which brings us to our second point, point B, the place Yahweh will choose. Where the people were to go was the place the Lord your God will choose from among the tribes. Now, the actual identity of the place wasn't important. That's not the important part, which is why we're not told the name of it. We're not actually told where it is. What was important is that Yahweh will choose it, not the people. Yahweh, who is, who is God, their God, he has the right to ordain, to decide where worship will happen. It's not a matter of convenience or where the people would like to go. Yahweh defines worship because it's all about recognizing that he is God and we are not. And that's a word that you and I, as God's people, need to hear as well. Because I think we can often make worship into something that we choose and we define. We can shape it into our tastes and, and convenience rather than letting God choose what worship is and what it looks like. Maybe you're in the habit of only coming to church when it's convenient or, or when you feel like it or deciding that you'll opt out of serving at church because, because it's, it's just too difficult. Now, I recognise for some of it that there are very, very legitimate reasons why perhaps we do pull back from serving. Perhaps you uh, have a, um, an illness you're struggling with or, or you've, you've struggled with burnout. Uh, I'm not talking to you if that is your situation. I'm addressing, I'm talking to, to us if we have an attitude of worshipping and serving, and the two of those can't be separated, of having an attitude of serving when it suits me, on my terms, when it's convenient. And I think we can all easily slip into that. But what Yahweh is driving home was that the Israelites, to, to the Israelites was that worship is always on his terms. It's about him and not us. He defines worship, where to worship, how to worship. Third point, C, worship is centred around Yahweh's name. Again, in verse 5, to put his name there for his dwelling. God will put his name at the place that he chooses 
for his dwelling. We saw earlier that someone's name represented their power and their presence. And so Yahweh putting his name on the place of worship that the Israelites were to go to means that he will dwell there. He will be present. The Israelites will be able to experience his power as the God of the whole world who rules not only Israel, but the nations around them as well. When the people went to the place where God called them, they would encounter the living God. They would meet with him. And that's the difference between the way the worship of the nations, who worshipped under every spreading tree and every high place, because they worshipped idols. They had no name. Their name was to be wiped out because they had no power and they weren't present. They had to be represented by a dead lump of wood or clay or metal because they weren't alive. They couldn't hear or speak or act. They had no presence. They had no name. In Taiwan where we lived, um, just around the corner, uh, there was a temple which I often used to walk past. I think I've got a picture of it here. Um, and people would, would uh, go and bow down and burn incense, just like in, in that picture. They would often do it on their way to work. They'd call in at the temple for a few minutes, uh, burn incense to their God, and then move on. But I could tell, as I looked at the people, by their faces, by their body language, that there was no engagement with what they were doing. They were performing a ritual. There was no relationship because they were praying to a God who was not there, who wasn't present, had no name and no power. They were praying to a God who was a lump of metal and plaster. But Yahweh, the living God, has no need to be made into the shape of a bull or an image because he was a God who is there. He didn't need to be represented by a piece of wood or metal because he is the living God. His presence is real. His name was with the people. Point D. Yahweh summons the people to come. Yahweh calls the people to come and meet with him. Have a look at the end of verse 5 again. Uh, our translation, which is the uh, NIV, says, you are to seek the place. You, you are to go to the place. The word in the original language is actually come. It's from God's perspective and he's calling them to come. Come to the place where he is. Come to the place where he dwells. The word order of the original sentence is actually the place where Yahweh chooses to put his name, seek it, and come there. It's an invitation, isn't it? God wants his people to come to him. He wants them to experience his presence and blessing as they meet with him and worship him. Because God knows that that's what the people need. They need him. They need to come to him. 
They need to respond to him. Not for his own sake because, because he needs people to praise him, but because he knows that true worship is where we find our place, our purpose, our identity. Because God, our creator, designed us that way. Come and meet with God at the place where he chooses. And there's another reason why God wants his people to down tools and to load up the donkey to make the journey to that place. Look at, look at verse 5 again. You are to seek the place that Yahweh will choose. In other words, they had to make a decision to leave their everyday lives behind and go. Sometimes it would be a significant journey of possibly days of travel. It would have been an inconvenience. The kids asking every 10 minutes, are, are we there yet? God wanted the act of worship and making sacrifices and offerings to actually mean something. He wanted it to be costly, so they had to think about what they were doing. Not to be an act of convenience, like popping into a 7-Eleven on the way home from work. As they made the journey, he wanted them to think about why they're doing it about what they're doing. Worshipping God on his terms means putting ourselves out for him, acknowledging with our lives and with our actions that he is God and we are not, that he has the right to tell us what his agenda is and for us to respond to that agenda and not the other way around. That worship, our response to him, should come before my career and studies, before my family even, before my kids. If you take that seriously, I wonder what your life would look like. Now at this point, um, we could run the risk of thinking that this worship thing could be a real burden. Uh, a weight on our shoulders, an impossible weight uh, one more thing to feel guilty about. No, says Moses, it's not that at all because worship is all about joy, celebration. Because when we worship, we come into the presence of the living God. And that's our third point. Where are we? No? I've lost it, I can't go back. Can you go back for me, Johnson? Next one. Next one. Try the next one. No, okay, we lost it. Point three on your outlines. You can follow in on the, on the, out, on, on the outline. Twice in our passage, Moses tells the story that they are to rejoice when they come together to meet with Yahweh. Look at verse 7. Because the Lord your God has blessed you. There in the presence of your God, you and your families shall eat and rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. And then verse 12 
No, I haven't got that either. Verse 12. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Notice from these passages that the first thing we're told about rejoicing is that it's in the presence of the Lord, before the Lord. The people are to be glad because God is with them. We've seen before in Deuteronomy that God is with them as they go into the land, the promised land that God gave them. That in itself is a physical reminder of God's presence. But there's another layer to that because here we're told that when Israel go to the place that he is to choose for them to go to worship, he is with them in a special way at that place. It's not as if God wasn't present uh, all the rest of the time, all the, the rest of the time that they're in the land, he was. It wasn't as, as if God really lived at a particular town, but he wasn't in the, in the next town. But it was that the place where the people were to come to worship was where they could set aside special time to meet with God in a special way and in so doing experience his presence in a way that they didn't in their everyday lives. And in that process, they would be reminded of his presence and see his blessings in a way that perhaps they wouldn't in the normal run of life. As, as the people experienced God's presence, they would particularly, would particularly have been reminded of God's goodness to them. Everything has been done for them. Have a look at, again at the last part of verse 7. Sorry, uh, if you've got your Bibles, follow along. Um, Rejoice, Moses says to them, because the Lord your God has blessed you. As we journeyed through Deuteronomy, we've seen time and time again to remember what God has done for them. He brought them out of slavery from Egypt. He parted the sea. He made a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. He chose them to be his people. He promised to lead them into the land. And all this, he did all this, why? Not because of their strength or their goodness or because they were pretty nice people. He loved them because he loved them. No other reason. Pure grace. Generous. Undeserved love. And as the people were in the land, enjoying its fruit, having everything they needed, that was a visible reminder of God's faithfulness, his blessing. And so how were they to respond? To rejoice, to be glad, delight in such a generous, good God being with them. So they were to enjoy themselves before God. How were they to do that? Well, by eating, of course, sitting down to a huge feast. Look again at verse 7. In the presence of Yahweh, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice. Now, I think all cultures enjoy eating together, don't they? Uh, I don't need to tell you, most of you are from, uh, from an Asian background, I don't need to tell you about how important eating is for your culture. When I first went to East Asia, I was pretty green behind the ears. I, I didn't really know what I was doing. And one time I met, 
I met a lad, a uni student, and I invited him out to dinner, to hot pot. And I didn't know how to order. I didn't know the etiquette or anything like that. All I knew that was that I told him I was going to pay for this meal. I was going to take him out. I did know that much about Chinese culture. Um, so anyway, my friend orders the food, and uh, I didn't know what was going on. And the food started to come and come and come. And here was I getting more and more nervous as the plates of beef and lamb and seafood grew into mountains of meat, mostly. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to pay for this. I was on a pretty, pretty uh, modest budget and I became more and more nervous. At the end of the meal, we got the bill and my fears were realised. I opened up my wallet and I didn't have enough. And I had to ask my friend if he could help pay for it. Losing face big time. <laughs> there is a point to this story, uh, and that's to illustrate that in East Asian culture, uh, uh, showing generosity, abundance as you eat together and celebrate is vitally important. God wants his people to celebrate his abundant provision by eating, rejoicing. And we to do it together. Verse, verse 7, with your families, with your sons and daughters, your men servants and maid servants. And verse 12, have a look at verse 12 if you've got your Bibles open. With the Levites. Men servants and maid servants with the Levites from your towns who have no inheritance. It's like Christmas, isn't it? Or Chinese New Year. All the family together. More food than anyone can eat. But notice also that it's not only those, those close members of our family who are there, but those at the bottom of the pile are there with us. The servants, the Levites who haven't got property of their own. It's about inclusiveness. Making sure those, especially those on the margins, are included with your family. It's a picture of a joy and abundance and inclusiveness. When we worship God, when we encounter his presence, that will always affect our relationship with others. Worship is never just a private affair between me and God. Because the way our Creator designed us was to be in right, relation to, right relationship with Him, which will flow over to our relationships with each other, with family, with friends, and with those on the margins. So meeting with God on a Sunday morning is never just a matter of my individual encounter with God. It is that, of course it's that. We come into, but we come into God's presence together and we encourage one another. When we sing, yes, it involves singing to God, but it also involves singing to each other, reminding ourselves of the truths of the gospel. And so when we come to church, we need to think about how our actions affect our brothers and sisters around us. 
If I'm in the habit of walking into church at 10 past 11, that affects those who arrive at 11 o'clock. We also need to think about who we talk to at church before and after the service. It's easy to default to talking to our friends around us, isn't it? But Deuteronomy 12 reminds us that we ought to be including those who are on the outside. Who are the people who are isolated? How can I include them? Who is sitting on their own or who is finding it hard to fit in? Perhaps it's someone who is a different age uh, to, to, to me and perhaps finding it hard to fit in with, with most people in the congregation. How can I show them God's love? In Deuteronomy 12, Moses calls the people to come to Yahweh on his terms, not like the nations who worshipped however and whenever they liked. Yahweh chooses the place and the way to worship. He invites people to come to him, into his presence and experience the joy of being in right relationship with him. Since that time of Moses, Deuteronomy, God has revealed himself to us more fully. He has showed himself to us in the flesh. He came to dwell with us, not at a place in the promised land, but as a man, just like us. Then he showed his love to us in an even greater act of grace and generosity, because he gave himself up for us. He, he's, he allowed his body to be broken for us on a cruel cross. And before his death, Jesus called us to come. Just like in Deuteronomy 12. Come to him to worship. Come to him to find life. He said, all who are thirsty, come and I will give you living water. All who are weary, come and I will give you rest. The invitation is for all. And it's free. And if we want to know God, if we want to find life, if we want to know the joy of being in the presence of our Creator, there's only one way to do that. In Deuteronomy 12, it was to go to the place where Yahweh chose. Now Jesus has replaced that place. It's only through him that we can know God and to worship him his way. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved from our sin and experience the joy of knowing God. In Acts 5, we'll see if we got it. Sorry, Acts 4. In Acts chapter 4, the apostle Peter is talking to the Jewish authorities. And this is what he says to them. He says, salvation is found in no other place, in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now Jesus bears the name of God. His power and his presence are found in him alone. 
Worshipping the way God chooses means two things for how we respond to Jesus. One, we need to trust him alone for our salvation. I bring nothing to the table to offer God but my sin. I am not good enough to come to God. Only Jesus' death has made me acceptable to him. We cannot and we must not ever think we can give God a helping hand by doing some good things that will help us be saved. Number two, we come to Jesus on his terms and not ours. He is King Jesus, Lord of the universe. I cannot and must not think I can come to, to him for salvation but then live any way I want. He is either Lord of all or not at all. He cannot be king of my Sundays at church, but not of my Mondays to Saturdays. He cannot be king of my time reading the Bible, but not of my evenings with my family. He cannot be king of my money, the money I put into the plate at church, but not of my wallet for the rest of the week. Come to Jesus the way that he chooses. Worship him his way. Find life in him. Forgiveness in him. And rejoice as you experience his presence and unconditional love. Amen. I'm going to ask the band to come up and let's continue to worship God the way that he calls us to. And let's do it by singing. We'll also make this song our offertory song. So let's stand and sing together.